So welcome to Managing Marketing and today I'm talking with Sarah Del Popolo who's Principal of Access Legal but she's also the Founder and President of the International Social Media Association. Welcome Sarah. Thank you. Look the reason um, I'm so interested is clearly marketing uh, and digital online and social media yep. are such big areas of marketing and such a big focus. And uh, you've obviously got a very deep understanding of that with the International Social Media Association. But a lot of people seem to overlook the legal aspects of social media, particularly around intellectual property, copyright and patents. Yep. And I was just wondering if you could give me a sort of layman's guide to what that actually means. What, you know, what is copyright and wh what is the general term of intellectual property? Yeah. Um, you've hit the nail on the head. Look, most people still do think that social media is doesn't involve legal because probably because of the word social. But, yeah. you know, ultimately whatever happens um, on the various platforms, and I know we've got like the Facebooks and the Twitters and everything else, but, you know, we're very quickly, I think, moving into other territories, um, new platforms. So think of virtual reality, augmented reality, how they're going to be incorporated into these platforms in the future. Um, but there are really big legal um, questions that do come out of these platforms. And we've identified in our firm about 14 different areas of the law. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, it's, I mean, we will obviously we'll focus on, you know, the IP stuff for your, for your listeners. But when you're looking at the fact that so many CEOs, CIOs, CMOs, you know, all the C-suites uh, are encouraged these days to be on social media. When you think about uh, that many companies are outsourcing their social media content creation and the listening to companies who are effectively almost making unilateral decisions. Mm. And you have the Corporations Act, and I won't bore you, you know, everyone with too much legal jumble, but, you know, everyone in these very senior autonomous decision-making roles could actually be exposed to like corporate breaches, you know, if they say the wrong thing. And then we- Well, like insider trading, if they talk about uh, potential takeovers and things. Oh, well, you could be like unwittingly, you know, disclosing confidential information. Right. I mean, that's stuff that, you know, there mm. could be creativity around the confidential information, but it could be just plain old things, like you said, you know, of a takeover coming up. Um, but it could even be that, well, the Netflix situation so many years oh, ago yeah. now where the CEO um, was, you know, announcing quite happily and proudly and rightly so on his open Facebook page used predominantly for business that he was so excited and thrilled to announce that uh, Netflix had reached their one millionth subscriber. Right, and that Over was confidential. Oh, no, overnight the share price went up. Ah, yeah. Now, okay. who would have thought that something, and you would be like, yeah, isn't that a great thing? Of course you want your share price to come up. Except that if you're a shareholder, you're meant to have, you know, you're meant to know where the latest announcements are actually going to be released. Yeah. So social media is today 
um, especially Twitter, the number one channel for potential investors mm. to find out about what companies What's are going the best, on. right? <laughs> I mean, that's like at the most, for marketing people, that's probably at the most boring end of the spectrum, but it's just to give you an idea. And then, you know, we were talking just before you switched mm. on the mic about, you know, things like defamation. I yeah. mean, you could be anyone and be getting defamed in the company, whether it's, you know, whether you're in marketing or whether you're the receptionist, you know. Um, so things that happen on social media, can cause major, major problems. Um, you know, obviously we'll have a chat more deeply, deeply around the IP issues, mm -hmm. but you know, you've got consumer breaches, misleading, deceptive conduct. Like, it's also uh, like inciting racial hate and, oh, you know, you know oh. there's all of those uh, rights and issues protecting people's uh, rights. Uh, absolutely. Um, I, you know, we might have to do this on another day, but I've actually had an instance even just last week where I was a victim of some pretty insane remarks. Really? Um, yeah. Posted on my Twitter handle, and it was just, it was literally just a response, an outrageous response to a reposting of something mm -hmm. that was in the media. Um, and it was just because, you know, they were. They were angry. angry and frustrated. Oh, they were angry and frustrated and they were upset that um, that it was around Zane Olchen and Olivia right. Melville, the girl who was completely abused um, mm -hmm. because of a Twitter photo uh, and this guy's, you know, gone to absolute town on her, um, threatening her, making a whole, all sorts of sexual and violent threats um, and he's just finally, after 12 months, decided to plead, to change his plea to guilty because it is a crime oh, to absolutely. do this, right? But, but making threats against someone is a crime under the Crimes Act. Com so, yeah. It is totally, and yeah. no one knows it. So all I've done is repost the article and said, this is a really great result for raising awareness. Oh. I won't even repeat what I was actually called. And um, I was told that in the old days I would be burned at the stake after suitable torture, um, you know, there were comments, uh, it just went on. This was like only about 10 of them. And I went, whoo, reported them to Twitter. Yeah. Sarah, isn't it interesting though, because basically what these social media oh. platforms have given us, including Facebook and Twitter and even Snapchat, you know, mm. have given us as individuals the power that used to only reside with the major publishers because oh, we now totally. have an audience. Yeah, but we're what, all Rupert Murdoch now. Yeah, but what hasn't come across is the responsibilities that come with that because to have that sort of influence you might think you're just sharing yeah. with your friends but you know there's actually a responsibility to act in an appropriate way but people just forget about it mm. i mean and we all we all know because we've all heard oh you know it's got this kind of anonymous quality you know you you can put in your 180 tweet and you've got some random twitter handle and maybe a photo that's not even you and so you feel that you're protected mm. by this anonymity. And, you know, it's, it's like, uh, you know, I don't know, gossiping behind someone's back to their friends. But, yeah. you know, not having the guts to say though, to your face. But it's not, because it's public. Correct. But people don't realise this. So, I mean, that's kind of the one extreme. So when mm. we're talking about social media not being legal issues, completely mm. the furthest thing from the truth and, you know, I guess it's because it's fast, it's easily accessible. I mean, we, you know, did a report as part of ISMA, but as part of the organisation, you know, where 
just even think about the fact that there are, I think, about 800,000 kindergarten kids on Facebook. You're joking. Yeah, there was a stat, and to be honest, I cannot remember where I found the stat. But one of my one of my legal um, uh, one of my legal researchers at the office found it, and we were just like, "What?" I mean, here's the thing: that's the kindergartens. Now we know that there is like a major, major, you know, percentage of the social media users are between the ages of thirteen and seventeen. Mm. The laws, not just in Australia, but pretty much all around the world, say that you can't be legally bound to a contract until you're 18. Mm. Now, and also in most jurisdictions, there's also no criminal intent up to often, you know, 16 no, to 18. No, that's right. So, so even know, if you break the law. Oh, correct. Well, that's, I mean, but there's, when you're looking at, uh, you know, let's say we're like, oh, you know, so what, you know, I'm a marketer, what's that got to do with me? Like, I'm not, mm. I'm not doing <laughs> stuff for 13-year-olds, but what if, you know, what if you're doing the marketing campaign for McDonald's? Mm. Well, we've got plenty of 13-year-olds who do love McDonald's, even though the, you know, Advertising Standards Bureau says that you can't advertise around, you know, fast food. But uh, there are quite a few 15-year-olds that are employed by these retailers. Mm. And so they're working there. So in fact, social media really, you know, does involve a whole lot of laws. Um, and then, you know... And also, in, yeah, because of the sheer size of it, it's very hard to actually control it. You know, you can't totally. segment particular parts of the market. No, it's out there for everyone. Facebook's another country. It's yeah. just got one billion people. It makes me um, now think about some of those uh, sponsored tweets and sponsored posts Ooh. on uh, Facebook that are making contractual obligations because it says buy now. Oh, um, and if I a, does that mean that if a 13-year-old clicks on that and goes buy now, um, can they actually be bound to that contract? Well, I'll tell you what, who's paying their phone bill? Mm, their parents. Well, I mean, we saw this happen with the mobile industry what, 2006, mm, 2007? Right, yeah. I know because I was probably acting for all the clients that got everyone to try, you know, so causing had the, two or three thousand dollar phone bills, yeah? Oh, uh, no, no. I was oh. acting for the mobile content um, companies. So we were at the, we were at the coalface of everything. Um, but in those instances, you had the parents basically saying, no, we don't know anything about this. Mm. And next thing you know, the TIO was like, yeah, refund them. Now, yeah. when you're looking at social media and you're looking at in-app purchases um, or, you know, via ads and everything else through social media sites, uh, it's probably pretty easy for little Johnny to go steal mum's credit card, put that in. Next thing you know, mum's like, what the hell are all these purchases? Um, that's completely unenforceable. So going back to uh, intellectual property, Let's go. because there's that is also the exciting stuff. Yeah, but there's the you know um, Australia particularly has got a long history of uh, pirated downloads of movies and TV shows and and all sorts of things, um, and there's a general attitude in the amongst the public clearly that that the they shouldn't have to pay for the IP because you know pirating has been a big issue it seems to be even uh, worse in social media because mm. people are often borrowing or borrowing in quotes yeah. or yeah. stealing in technically um, intellectual property that they find in, yeah. shared in social media 
Yeah, look, there is, there is, it, because it's easy, right? Mm. It's so easy to do it. Um, and the social media platforms do try, they do genuinely try their best to have some sort of rules, except it's impossible for them to know which countries' rules they should be guided by. But when we're looking at, um, you know, that whole concept of borrowing off social media, it just comes down to the fact that it's easy and that most people really do not understand intellectual property anyway. Mm. Um, and that, which is really bizarre because, I mean, I remember when I started doing trademark work, you know, five minutes ago, um, and I meant like 50 minutes ago, yeah. more like it, but I remember back then, you'd be, you'd be lucky to, to be having 70,000 applications filed, 100,000 applications filed in Australia every year. I think that that number is like something outrageous now. Mm. So more and more people are really aware of this whole concept of a trademark and, oh, I better go and protect it now, but then they don't understand what that really means and they think it's just about getting a pretty certificate and putting it in a drawer, right? <laughs> yeah. But, you know, and I know... Or on a frame on the wall. <laughs> on a frame. But ultimately what happens is that that's basically an asset and it's got to be put to use and it's got to start generating some funds somewhere. Yeah. And so, you know, when you have people stealing images, for example, I mean, we're talking about mainly it's going to be, you know, um, uh, stealing photographs and stealing yeah. videos or... Or, or illustrations. Illustrations, or, yeah. right. Well, that's the most common thing. Yeah. Um, then, you know, people think, oh, I'm never going to be found out. Mm. Uh, and, oh, maybe if I just, like, crop it here and crop it there, you know, maybe no one will actually realise it because, oh, isn't it the 10% rule? Yeah. You know, people will be like, I'm sure that if I just, you know, if I just take only 10%, well, the other one I've heard fine. is uh, public usage, which is... Um, Don't and know I what had that's an agent, all about, but, yeah, you know. I, okay, so the example is I had an agency who had put to their client an idea that used thousands and thousands of images in 30, a 30-second 30 TV ad, and there would be like 20 flash frames a second. So, you know, over 30 seconds by 20, 600 images. And when we asked where those images were coming from, because there was no price put to pay for them they said they would just source them off the internet on social media like instagram or facebook yep. and we said well um that's an issue because while you may be able to use that image you don't have permission from the person that appears in the image to actually appear in a paid commercial because and that would be seen to be endorsed 16? yeah well if it's yeah what if they're under 16 you know um, so there are so it wasn't just IP, it's also <laughs> performance rights or 100%. association or... And this is a thing that's happening, you know. Um, what I'm seeing with a lot of my, you know, my clients and even my, and my friends, and I've got friends that are both, you know, the digital marketers, frustrated because, you know, they're dealing, they're having to deal with corporate clients that are not moving fast enough, mm -hmm. right? And then I've got friends that are in-house counsel in companies that are like, we've got so much happening and we get thrown these like random social media questions that in the scheme of things are not important because they're dealing with massive corporate firefighting agreements and everything, you know. So we, we hear all of these problems coming up. And the one common, the common threads are always around the speed, the speed at which 
everything happens. So, you know, I mentioned the fact that it's really easy to lift stuff off the various social media platforms. Um, and the second thing, it's really, it's really moves too fast. So you might have someone who's got a great concept uh, for a, a post or something, and they're like, brilliant, I've got to act on this fast. We know in social media, you can't wait two weeks for something to come through. Yep. So it's, it's very much the case of take now, say sorry later, yeah. right? And if we don't get caught. If we don't get caught. And look, the reality is at the moment, a lot of people may not be getting caught. But I think that people are becoming more and more savvy and there are definitely some cases around where we're seeing some pretty significant fines happening. Um, I mean, we had uh, an instance in Europe which was uh, a photographer, um, Philip Morel, and he sued um, the AFP, Agence France Presse, for lifting one of his photos after um, they'd asked for permission from getting images and they went, oh, we'll just like take it anyway for this thing, but ended up being shared. Oh, right. Um, and uh, they ended up paying him a million dollars in copyright infringement. We saw another instance probably, what, a, about 18 months ago of um, the, the very well-known, deep-pocketed, uh, controversial um, copyright thieving artist, I mean, that's what pretty much everyone's calling him, Richard Prince in the US, who lifted um, astoundingly fantastic photographs of, of, of people, images that people had put up um, of portraiture. And he lifted the entire tweet, including the comment underneath, and all he did was add another comment. And he was selling them. He had a, an entire exhibition in a very popular New York gallery. Mm. And he was selling them for like 90,000 US dollars. <laughs> no attribution, no nothing, just literally, you know. I mean, these things are happening. We've got another case that's quite interesting. Um, this guy is uh, he's called Dennis Flaherty. Now, he's in the, it's another US case, but we shouldn't be making the mistake that that's in the US and it's not going to be applicable here because when we're looking at intellectual property rights, the laws are very much similar. Mm. And the Australian courts are indeed looking at what's happening in the US and the UK and they're using those cases as guidance because the laws are the same. So Sarah, sorry, Sarah, yeah. but there, there's something you can um, clarify for me because if, you, if I take someone's IP and I use it, because um, this is a defence or an excuse that I've heard, I've used it but it's not for commercial purposes. It's yeah. just, you know, I'm sharing it with my friends on Facebook. Is that different to a company or an individual who's using it to generate revenue, you know, or, or making a profit from someone else's work? And is it different again to if I use it not for profit, but I use it in a way that is detrimental to the reputation yeah, of the person? Yeah, they're all really different issues. So on my first question would be, how many Facebook or Twitter followers do you have, Darren? Oh, uh, Twitter, uh, 19,500. Uh, right. So it's not going to really matter at that stage if you say it's just for my personal use because the likelihood is that when you have that many followers they're not going to be all your best friends nah. right and that's what's really interesting today when we're looking at what exactly is commercial use mm. like there could be you know 
Susie Homemaker, who decides to set up a, a Twitter page or a YouTube channel or whatever it is, um, it starts off with her friends and she's just sharing some information, but ultimately the real goal is that she becomes the next, you know... Yeah. Becomes famous, becomes a celebrity. How many bloggers like those... I mean, ultimately everyone, almost everyone, is seeking to become an influencer, mm. even amongst their own peers and friends. Um, so what is what is non-commercial? I would say very few instances these days are non-commercial. Mm. Um, and most people's, you know... Facebook profiles, I mean, there's a blend. You know, what's not commercial? Well, how many, how many business associates, clients, you know, and non-friends and family do you have on those social media sites? That'll give you an idea of whether you're really doing stuff for a non-commercial purpose. Mm. So as far as, like, you know, um, what happens if you actually deal with work in a way that's, you know, derogatory, that's a concept under the Copyright Act called moral rights. Yes. We don't have that in the US, right, but we have it here. So if I'm an artist and uh, someone's actually taken my, lifted my photograph, but then they've done something that is derogatory uh, or makes me, you know, it, it basically... Look like an amateur. It makes me look like an amateur. It's, you know... Or offensive. Offensive or... to me personally. Mm. Um, then I would have an action under the Copyright Act for an infringement of moral rights. Moral rights are never going to be assigned. Mm. Okay? I have to, in writing, actually decide to relinquish moral rights. Yeah. Which means I will never be able to go after anyone. But no one asks for that when it's social media. And here's the other thing. Under the Copyright Act, you don't have a copyright assignment unless it's specified exactly what's been assigned and is in writing. I'm so glad you brought that up because so many contracts we see between major advertisers and their agencies actually just say, all work produced under this contract is assigned to us on the payment of the fee. And my reading of the Copyright Act says that you actually have to specify each piece of work that's actually covered by if, that. If you're an employee, yeah. you don't. No, but I'm talking about the agency. If you're a contractor, yeah. okay, if you're a contractor, then it's got to have to do with what you're being contracted for. Mm -hmm. So what's the job that you're being contracted for? You know, mm -hmm. if it's related to that job, then anything that you create during that contract is going to be assigned. But if suddenly they're trying to claim an assignment of copyright for something that has nothing to do with that job and is something outside of it, they're going to have a hard time. Mm. Um, and again, you know, how do they actually enforce that if you're looking at trying to claim a copyright assignment for someone who's potentially underage? Yeah. So think about everyone out there who have created some cool trade promotions for your clients, you know, Design your T-shirt, upload it to Facebook, um, and, you know, you enter into the competition. And I bet your bottom dollar that you've all been sneaking, trying to bury in those com complicated terms and conditions that there's an assignment of copyright of everything that anyone's ever done. Well, unless you've got their parental, the parental guidance, you don't own yeah. that copyright. So... Because they can't assign, they, they can't have assign no legal it. right to assign yeah. it themselves. Yeah. So, I mean, and there are a lot of brands out there that are creating some pretty amazing content. I mean, this is a the thing. There are a lot of 13-year-olds to 17-year-olds that are unbelievably talented and creative. Mm. 
So they're an incredible pool of, you know... Yeah, of, and they're actively oh, participating and engaged yeah. in social media. So, you know, they're going to be producing yeah. IP yeah. without even, you know, almost without even realising it themselves. That's right. So, you know, when we're looking at copyright, you know, there are all these issues that do mm. come into play. So we've spoken about, you know, derogatory treatment. Um, we've spoken about the, you know, the right the of the commerciality. I mean, very, very hard, I think, these days for someone to prove that it's not for a commercial purpose. Um, and then thirdly, we're looking at ownership and what exactly is being infringed. So if someone actually decides to lift any sort of content off, um, please don't make a mistake in thinking that if you change it, you know, that you can take 10% of something. Yeah. That rule does not exist. It never has. Um, and we've got really famous cases to yeah. reference it by, which I would imagine that everyone has heard about. Um, it's a larrikin music versus yeah, yeah. men at work, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, just for everyone. sits on the correct. old gum tree. Now, if anyone, uh, if anyone listening to this does not believe me, go and play the riff. Go and play that riff. You will find that what Man at Work took was three seconds. Mm. Three seconds is was, and that was considered the most prominent feature. So the ten percent rule is a farce. It's, yeah. it's what's the most prominent feature of the work. So you can't crop something. Yeah. So, Sarah, right. this is something that, because uh, so many agencies will take a great piece of commercial music and then when they try and license it, they'll find out it's too expensive for the mm. client, you know, the artist yeah. may, or the publisher, uh, you know, and, and I won't even get into publishing rights and performance rights, but, yeah, oh, yeah uh, but totally. they can't afford it. So they'll go to a composer and they'll go, we want something to sound like this. Oh, and the danger in sound that... Sound-alikes. Yeah, and, and the, danger is, <laughs> the danger is if it sounds like it, then you've probably breached... And I, I try to explain, because I even had a musician tell me he'd changed a certain number of notes. Yeah. And I said, do you do realise that the way this is judged is if it's before a judge and not a jury, but even a jury, they play the two tracks and it's whether it makes them think that it's sim the same yeah, or similar. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there are, again... There's like, no mechanical formula, is no, there? No, there's not. Like, look, it can get very technical and stuff. And I know, I mean, there's been a really interesting case just recently in the U.S., um, for Led Zeppelin and Stairway oh, to Heaven, yes, which yeah. frankly I cannot see how that decision. I think that's didn't it go against? It went against the potential. Yeah. It went it went for Led Zeppelin. Yeah. Which I was completely surprised about. I I have a feeling that the judge was just in love with Led Zeppelin. He's probably a headbanger from one. Potentially back. right, but here's in Australia. Here's the rules, right? Um, as Darren said, you know, as you said, like. This is literally the most prominent. What What is the impression that's mm -hmm. left? Um, just because you get someone else to go and compose it and maybe change one or two chords, it doesn't mean that that's not actually infringing the piece of music. Um, again, we're going to look at like normal cases that applied here. There was a really interesting case of Olivia Newton-John. Um, she sued Maybelline. Mm -hmm. uh, they had approached her um, to do an ad, or maybe actually they didn't even approach her. Um, there's an ad, there was an ad that was done by Maybelline, which does like the uh, mascara, right? The eye makeup. And there was a girl who was a lookalike for Olivia Newton-John, and the tagline was, Olivia, no Maybelline. Uh. So, 
My Olivia sewed and one. Um, there's another couple of really good ones in the US where um, it was a, a Barbara Streisand and Tom Waits. Oh. Okay, two individual cases where they had been approached by two different brands um, for you know them to be appearing in the ads or singing in the ads or whatever, and um, they both independently had said no. So they're completely different cases, but the same sort of scenarios. And they did the whole look-alike or sound-alike um, situation, right? Yeah. So it's exactly the same as someone deciding that they it's too expensive to get the actual yeah. track and compose so, their own so, yeah. version. So if you can't afford the real thing, then Don't change do a, a sound change your change your, <laughs> your actual idea. campaign yeah. right and you know sometimes we've even seen uh, you know this this stuff extends to politicians I mean do you remember the um, the whole mean tweets yes um, yeah, okay yeah. so Mike Baird last year and he's pretty good on social media mm -hmm. but he decided to read out do a little YouTube video of him reading out the mean tweets that had been said about him. Mm. So he's done this, you know, he's very personable on social media. And next thing you know, he gets a letter of demand from Warner Music because he has used as the background music REM's Everybody Hurts and... Without permission. Correct. Oh, right? no. Now, he, he did a very clever comeback and, you know, pulled it down and... Mm. Put it up again without music. No, no. Well, no, <laughs> pulled the music down and, you know, did a very clever tweet in response. Um, but, I mean, when we're talking about, like, who can get it wrong, yeah. you know, you could be a marketer working on a campaign for anyone. Like, it doesn't necessarily so, have to be a brand. Yeah, Sarah, this happens all the time. All the time. In that the number of times in my career and since then in doing this job that I've heard and seen marketers say, we just want a video and just get a piece of music to put under there. And we'll only I use really like, like such and such. We'll only use like 10 seconds of it and we'll loop it. Not even that. It's only for a trade presenter. It's only going to Correct. be shown at this conference. And in fact, I had a client that phoned me up and said, we've been asked to pay the fee because we used music and the publisher's representatives were at the conference. Yeah, correct. And here's a, here's a lovely thing, you know, and I know everyone hates lawyers, but swearly, you really need to learn to love us. Um, we've got this wonderful thing called professional indemnity insurance. Mm. So no one else has that, right? And, I mean, when, when people in these companies are making these decisions to just use that, um, now, if you end up with a situation where you are being sued and there is discovery, um, which basically means you have to provide emails and everything else, and l God help you if there is an email where someone has said, yeah, but don't worry about it, just use it. You know, what we have, what we have there is that individual being personally liable. Yeah. For the infringement. Not the company, the individual. Well, the company could be as well, but yeah. they would be complicit. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, I used to, before my social media days, before, you know, I, I started, I, before I set up Access Legal 12 years ago, I was working at a law firm. In fact, I was working at a law firm in North Sydney. And I used to do all the vetting of ads for Euro, RF, RFCG, I don't know what they are now. They have us. Have us, right. So I used to do all of their um, vetting of their ads. And they were, you know, the old infomercials, 
right? As well, we did infomercials for another company. I can't remember who they were. But I remember, you know, we would get, you know, the urgent email with the with the video attached and it'd be like Can we approve this now? We've got we've got to get this out to you know tonight. ten tonight, you know. So we would I would basically sit there and do my review and write down and make sure working with the questions. Now, people don't realise that those same rules apply in social media. The problem is, if we have to be honest, how many times would you then be calling up a lawyer? And how many times would you have to be stopped waiting for them for, you know, three hours or whatever for them to get their act together to give you an advice? Mm -hmm. When in social media, we know that sometimes things, most of the time, things just happen so quickly. Like that. You know, so it's it's very... There's a but also, uh, sorry to cut you off, no, but my, right. my experience is that every time we've suggested that they get legal advice... They say, oh, no, they'll just say no. And I go, because it's the right thing. And they go, but we won't get caught anyway. Well, <laughs> you're half right. You know what? You're half right. And this is the thing. The most of the time, they do get a no from legal. There's two issues. Either they're going to a lawyer who just doesn't necessarily know how to move in this area, right? Yeah. Because um, you need to move really quickly. Often in-house. And, and the in-house, well, here's what, they need to, here's what you need to understand. In-house are personally liable for any statements, right? right? Okay. If they make a decision, they are considered one of those autonomous oh, okay. decision makers. So, um, and often you'll have in-house that double as a company secretary. So they are in massive, massive risk territory. Yeah. Risk minimisation. And so not only do they have the corporation's risks and not only can they be personally um, found guilty of misleading deceptive conduct under the you know Australian consumer laws, and hey, guys, this is like $275,000 for the individual, right? right? Or 175, but it's one of those two. But we've also got an incredibly, incredibly strict legal regime that covers legal professions, legal professionals. So you might end up in a situation where um, a lawyer who's in-house has literally got no time and maybe they know something about this area, but they would literally have to sit down and go, all right, I need to spend a couple of hours familiarising myself with the other issues that could be involved mm. here and I don't have time, so I'm just going to say no. Yeah, it's easier to say no. Right? Yeah. Easier to say no. Because it's, it minimises the risk, which well, is ultimately... Well, it minimises their risk. Yeah. But the, the sad thing is, in I would say in about 60% of the cases, it could have happened. It just got given a no mm. and it could have happened with the slightest the slightest tweaking which is why you need slightest a, someone tweaking. that is specialist in a particular area to be able yeah. to, and not just go to a generalist yeah. who is responsible for a whole range of issues and may not even be a specialist in things such as you know yeah. social media intellectual property yeah. and the like uh, going back to that um, I had someone say to me, well, if someone's sharing their IP on social media, they should expect people to use it. And my point of view, because I have a lot of friends that are photographers and, and, and video filmmakers, they all put their copyright statements into the image or onto the video mm. um, as a statement of ownership so that there's automatically 
uh, attribution if it is shared. Yeah. Is that a good strategy or is I that think it is because... Um, you do need to assert your rights over your IP. I mean, people who say if you if you're putting it out there in the public, then it should be, you know, expect to be taken. I mean, that's that's like saying, well, if you park your car on the street, someone then should steal it. <laughs> someone should be able to steal it. I mean, it's there's no difference. Yeah. There's it's locked. Sorry. For a reason. That's a good. That's a good uh, but analogy. But ultimately, my my thing with social media platforms, I always give an analogy of either you know, imagine it like the roads, right, or imagine it like a, a shopping centre. There's a whole bunch of retailers in there. I mean, there there are general rules around you know what happens and how you're meant to behave when you're in a shopping centre or on a road. There's a hell of a lot of people using those roads, mm. right? So, you know. The the platforms do have this this danger of well we've got this 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 solution here but people really have no idea what the what the rules are it seems mm. and I think that you know re, I mean for me no one knows what the rules are and I'm talking about from the legislators down because um, you do have uh, organisations you have government departments like the AAA who are I would say just catching up to mobile and they know that there's stuff happening around social media. They're aware of it um, and they are trying to warn people um, but the reality is that they are still struggling to to get everyone up to speed with the education on the legislation, you know, and the laws that, you know, maybe are not even suitable for the fact that everything does happen in social media very quickly. But, you know, this whole concept of if it's out in the public, then I can use it. Ultimately, anyone who's saying that is trying to say that they're entitled to steal someone's trademark copyright. Um, so you'd also be, by that very, you know, same um, comment, entitled to say whatever the hell you wanted about someone else, whether it was defamatory or not, because... Because um, you're just ignoring the well, laws of the land. Well, they're, they're on social media, so I should be able to call them whatever I want. Yeah. Um, so, no, you cannot take just what is on social media. <laughs> just because it's there. And honestly, you're opening yourselves up. I mean, those cases, Philip Morell, that happened to him. It was a $1 million fine. Hmm. Uh, I'm not sure if that's the ROI you want to be going back on. I mean, we're seeing so many instances where marketers are doing this digital you know agencies are actually taking things and then you know the brand is getting shamed because that that was infringement or you know something and then it's like we have this like excuse from the brand but you know we covered we recovered so well because we apologized really quickly mm. i'm like i'm not sure if that's what the clients paid for you know, they paid for you to be using, you know, images properly, getting proper commissions. And here's the hard thing, you know, it's not easy because often, and I, I know because I do work with, you know, some content providers and, and social media managers as well, often it's just impossible to even contact the person who owns the particular photo or the video or, you know, whatever it is, it's often impossible to contact them or get an appropriate response. Sometimes you don't know who. And here's the other thing that is difficult, you know. So what if there's an image on my Twitter page or my Instagram, 
you're contacting me for my permission to use it. And I go, hell yeah, here, have it. But it's not even mine in the first it's place. It's not yours to give away. You know, so these yeah. are... This is, these are problems that I think marketers and digital, you know, people in the digital and mm. marketing industry are facing. And maybe that's where they're going, well, are we actually looking at a 50-50 risk here? Yeah. You know, maybe that person is never going to find out. Maybe they don't even own it. Yeah. And the other, you know, the other thing is, I don't even have time. I don't have time yeah. to get permission. It has to go now. But it also comes back to, as you said, the creators in the first place, making sure that they, you know, the metadata or actually embedded into the image or video, that there is a claim of ownership of the IP that could be substantiated so that they can commercialise and protect what they're creating. Because, you know, I think the single biggest thing that we all have to realise is if we stop paying our creators for creating, then they'll eventually get to the point that they can't do it anymore. Exactly. And we'll all be worse off for it. I think so. And I hear this quite often. You know, people are like, well, you know, what's the pluses and the fours for having free information and free creative work out there? The reality is that, um, and I don't know who would be familiar with the concept of creative commons, mm. um, but it's, it's the concept that, work can be copyright work can be put out into the public and accessed or licensed for free mm. okay subject to i guess a almost like an honor system you know very simple basic rules about how i attribution would be and yeah yeah and now the thing is that the people that create these sorts of free you know assets or free you know whether it's photographs or whatever else often you'll find that they're paid quite well mm. to create that sort of stuff for free In the first place. now last time i checked most of us had you know to feed ourselves you know get ourselves from a to put b a put a head. roof over our head i mean ultimately if you're not able to earn money from what you're doing mm then you might find yourselves dying an early death um, because you basically have no way of supporting yourself. So, you know, being creative, you should be entitled to get paid. I mean, the whole idea, and I think that's probably going to come into your next point, the whole idea of when you're creating something that is an asset, an intellectual property, which involves trademarks, so your branding, um, your videos, your music, um, an image, whether it's an illustration, um, it can can be a compilation of something that you have used, um, a piece of writing. Ultimately, if you create that and you want other people to use it, unless you're loaded and you don't care, and even then there are a lot of people that are loaded and care very much, then you know you want to make sure that you can generate some decent licensing fees, so you can generate some sort of payment. Hmm. We have photographers. Um, out there, I mean, you mentioned that you've got a lot of clients, and, and I do as well. I've got, I act for the Australian um, uh, Institute of Professional Photographers. Yeah. So, um, and they have these issues all the time. They're like, you know, we've got to feed ourselves. Hmm. You know, this is our living yeah. to take photos. When you've got photo pay. libraries at a dollar a time, you know, you're just hoping that there's enough downloads at a dollar a time to yeah. keep food in the mouth and a roof on their head. Yeah. So, you know, I mean, there are some images that people won't care if you take them, mm. but, you know, there might be one or two images or one or two bits of creative content mm. that will really mean a lot. And here's the other thing. 
I have a lot of clients in the digital industry where they're asked to tender for yeah. ideas. And if you think that whatever's out there can be taken, just go back to the instances where you've been asked to pitch for a piece of work, which, I mean, I know like how hard that is and how many hours are involved in putting that together. And the next thing you know, you don't win that pitch, someone else does, but lo and behold, some pretty significant elements of your pitch are now being used by someone else by someone else mm. and you haven't got paid for it and it only came out of that request mm. so i've had a lot of clients where they've gone you know it's we literally are creating the campaign in the pitch i mean that's not any different to stealing people's copyright or any artistic works of social media just because it's there you know, you have to look at, and if there is, if there are particular attributions, um, if there is a particular copyright, you know, notice or any sort of trademark notice or whatever it is, and then you disregard it, well, then you've added the concept of flagrancy to the mix, which means that you can get an extra penalty slap. Mm. Yeah, it can be a discretionary penalty on mm. top of the infringement yeah. penalty. So, as creators. You know, you want to make sure that there's a mutual respect mm. for everyone's because ultimately it's your industry. Sarah, thank you. It's We've run right. out of time. Oh, good. We could talk about this. And in fact, I would love to come back and, uh, you know, perhaps we continue the conversation around some of the other areas of social media and the law because it's so, such a fascinating area for me. Yeah, it's really interesting. If so, if you're interested. In the meantime... Um, if you've got any issues around uh, social media, intellectual property or the law, um, I'd recommend that you contact uh, Sarah Del Popolo. Sorry, Del Popolo. Oh, no, it's uh, a lot of O's, a lot of P's. Uh, who's a principal at Access Legal. And also check out the International Social Media Association because I think it's... Uh, it's an excellent, they're in Surrey Hills and it's isma.ngo. So check them out online. Um, thank you very much for joining Welcome. me. Welcome. Oh, by the way, mm. um, I'll talk to you about that uh, defamation case. Mm.